This is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 46 of Two Teachers Talking. Charles and I get together and talk about uh, teaching in Japan, teaching English in Japan, um, what we find works, what uh, puzzles us, and what we have found out doesn't work whatsoever. And today we're talking about uh, teaching writing. Um, very different thing all by itself. I mean, quite different from a lot of the oral communication classes that many of us teach all the time, but uh, getting into the specific skill of writing can be quite different. And uh, if, you know, if it's your first time, it can be kind of spooky. Right, Charles? Spooky? <laughs> I, wh- 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 why are you throwing that to me? <laughs> <laughs> Don't throw that to me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, the first time I think we've had to do this, it's kind of, it, it's a little bit daunting, huh? It. Yes, I can remember the first time I was asked to teach a, a writing class. And yeah, I, 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 do you I, remember? I couldn't, I couldn't remember, but it's so far back. I, yeah, I remember a lot. Of, I remember a lot of mistakes that I made. I don't remember the first time because because that went on for a long time. Yeah, we're you remember talk- your first time. Well, well, we weren't talking about last semester, Tony. <laughs> semester <laughs> with mistakes. I I don't really clearly remember the first time I of what happened when I taught writing. But what I do remember is the first time I was asked to teach a writing class. And okay, yeah, sure, no problem. And then not knowing where to start, not knowing what to do. Uh, it was kind of um, puzzling, I think would be the best way to put I'm it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing that struck stru- struck me was that it was so qualitatively different. I mean, the act of you yourself writing versus teaching writing is so much different than, for example, speaking and teaching speaking, because that's not that divergent, I don't think. But for writing, it's so different. Yeah, and on top of that, writing's just such a difficult skill that some people are gifted at and some people are not. Even in your native language, there's such variation in the the ability for people to write and what they write and how they write. So that's... A totally different animal, but yeah. It's... So, what do you remember? I mean, when you when you were starting to teach writing, uh oh, uh oh, uh, <laughs> uh oh, the syllabus is due. Uh uh oh, okay, uh, class starts tomorrow, kind of thing. Um, but seriously, yeah. What do you do? It was really this. Where do I start? And this is after a number of years of teaching oral communication classes when I was primarily teaching English classes in the Kansai area. And all the classes were really speaking or oral communication classes. There was a listening class. And contrast, you know, coming up with a writing class with coming up with a listening class. The listening class is so much easier to do, I think, and structure and except to make a really interesting listening class is a challenge. But I just didn't know where to start. Do you start with sentence structure? Do you start with grammar? Does one start with um, the structure of a paragraph or sentences or rhetoric or um, you get into that whole problem of the different ways that ideas are communicated and how evidence is provided and the notions of argumentation, for example. You know, it just went on and on and I just kept going in a circle and had no idea what to do and was going through textbooks looking at what textbooks were doing and and this was really before there was a lot of stuff online which is you know putting it in probably about 1992 93 that's made such a huge difference oh it has made such a huge difference to be able to see what other people do what they've posted on the web their activities has made a big difference but this was in that time before that. So spent a lot of time looking at textbooks and trying to track down people who had taught writing to see what they had done. And so it was just this overwhelming feeling of, I just don't know how to go about doing this. I don't know where to start. So that was kind of a scary thing to do. And 20 years later, I still feel the same way. (laughs) But at, at least I feel more confident now about knowing what I want to do in a classroom, in a writing classroom. But it was so qualitatively different from any other course I taught 
and even the structure of the class, as in what do you do in the class? Because so much instruction is necessary in writings. There's so much explicit teaching that one has to do that it kind of flipped me over in the sense that most of um, the classes that I teach, students are completely active the whole 90 minutes or as much as possible within that 90 minute period, right? They're working with each other, mm -hmm, talking mm -hmm. with each other. And suddenly in my first writing class, I found myself writing on the board and passing out handouts and explaining. Actually, I, quote unquote, teaching. Oh, is that what that was? <laughs> I mean, no wonder it felt so strange. idea of teaching rather than you know, and constructing learning activities and, and so, and, and having them do and, and learning by, you know, learning by doing, uh, engagement and so forth and so on. But yeah, actually, again, like the unflipped classroom, actually yeah. what traditionally has been called teaching. Mm. Which was pretty foreign to me. No, I think for a lot of people, for a lot of people too. And, and you, you contrasted it with like listening and sure, because listening is re receptive activity, um, it, you know, practice and answer the questions, um, writing productive, it's, uh, you know, reverting, reversing that flow is, uh, is no minor task. It's, it's, it's a good point. It's really difficult to look at something as complex, complex as writing and break it down into its constituent parts and figure out what is it exactly that the students need to learn and how do they need to learn it? And that's how I approached it at first. And, you know, what are they? Okay, I got this far. Okay, I'm done with the panic. I've seen how the textbooks are doing. They're teaching different kinds of paragraph structures, you know, logical division of order, list order, paragraphs, et cetera, et cetera, comparison, contrast. Um, but, you know, breaking down those different parts was not the easiest part. Figuring out how to teach it became the real challenge for me. And that's been a continuous challenge over the years. But it was very different. And the, one of the hardest parts, Tony, was finding myself in front of the class at a whiteboard or a blackboard and talking a lot to explain things. And then having students work on an exercise and it then checking the exercise to make sure that they had gotten it. And it took me a while to restructure that so that it was more to my usual way of working. But it took yeah, it's a, a while. very different rhythm. Now, yeah, rhythms are different. And it really brought up the question of how much feedback do students need and how much direct feedback or corrective feedback do they need and how explicit does it need to be? How should it be done? Because usually the, I think the approach in uh, oral communication class or a general speaking class is that students have the basic knowledge to access and they just haven't had experience really using it in actual situations or at least reasonably well simulated situations. Writing on the other hand, hmm, not at all the case. <laughs> is, thank you. Thank you. I couldn't have said it better myself. Tasks students in a different way. How about yourself? What about the first time you taught a writing class? Can you even remember? Uh, very, very hard uh, to remember because it was, for me, it was pretty early on. And uh, the big impression that I had is like, well, because that, that I remember is that, well, I can write, but I have no idea how to teach somebody else to write. And um, I think as far as I can remember my first steps, or at least I'll say that these are my first steps because it makes me sound really good. <laughs> but maybe more likely is this is a created memory. And what I learned to do instead of what I actually did the first uh, number of times that I did this uh, was one, begin with um, uh, just an impromptu writing task, you know, to, to a, a needs assessment activity, right? I got to see what these kids can do, what they can't do instruct them to write a paragraph. And from then you kind of see what you've got to work with. And then you have to take a look at the specific class that you've been charged with. Like what is the goal of this uh, particular class? Sometimes it is, you know, as simple, and, and depending on the level of the student, something as simple as, you know, constructing a paragraph in English. 
sometimes that the goals are more ambitious um, to write, uh, you know, a, a full-fledged s quote-unquote essay. And I've also been charged with um, preparing students, uh, third-year students, with the writing skills that will allow them to write their uh, popular in, in, in universities in Japan, their senior thesis, which is the, their big major paper. And these were English majors, uh, which involved their senior thesis, which involved uh, a, a much longer work with the organizational challenges that that involves, but also uh, research skills, like doing the actual research and documentation and avoiding plagiarism. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, which we weren't going to talk about much today because that, I think it's a topic all in and unto itself. That which will not be referred to. Right. But um, that needs assessment is, is, a, is a big thing. And uh, what you probably, and I probably should mention, because again, we're, ta- we're talking about teaching, writing English in Japan. And there's like, a, there's a, there's a big like kind of booby trap waiting for you. And when you start doing this, and you talked a little bit about the difference between oral communication style and written communication style. And I've got this little exercise that I, that I, that I do on the board. But the, the trap is, is that in um, writing in English, part of our cultural linguistic background, and the, that mode of our rhetorical style or mode of communication, um, informal writing is to have an opinion or have an idea and then support it with facts, reasons, expert opinion, and so forth. Um, it, I think it's very easy to go in there, <clears throat> speaking from experience, making the mistake that this is a universal and it's not. And the students in our classroom most of the time do not have this ingredient on their shelf and you're going to need to develop the critical thinking at a their critical thinking at a very basic level. Uh, what constitutes a reason? What constitutes uh, evidence? What constitutes some kind of support for an idea or an opinion? Because um, that, in in many cases, is going to be a really big challenge for the student. Yeah, I think that's the elephant in the room, Tony. Mm. The issue of critical thinking and logical thinking and how do we get them there? It becomes the big question and it's just a – I think it becomes a major part of the writing class. It's got to be. It's got to be because the the, – that skill, which is like integral to um, a cohesive essay in English – um, is not part of what they've learned in writing Japanese because the writing, the structure of a paragraph or essays in Japanese is very, very different from the English Western version. Um, it's, you know, we look at it and it's kind of circular and referential, indirect and um, elusive, and all these allusions to different things. And Things come oh, in I was thinking the, you were saying elusive, not elusive. That's good. I like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. And you know, it, it's elusive as well. It's elusive as and elusive. So please enunciate and other layer, And other layers of you know, meaning, too, like that come in with the, with the use of the, the, the writing style, right, with the kanji. I mean, you can use – that also is used with, to these subtle double entendres. I mean, if you're fluent in you know, reading Japanese that you pick up that, you know, when you try to – translate it in English and it's like, well, what, what do I do with this? And breaking them, you know, the other part, the other part, not only the critical thinking that makes it very hard is um, breaking the students of that habit of translating a paragraph that's been written in Japanese into English. You can do it with phrases, you can sometimes do it with sentences, but if you start doing with bigger chunks of language, um, whether it's a paragraph or whether a set of paragraphs, you end up with mush in, in, in English, and it just gives you a headache. Well, I think it was in a, a couple of episodes ago where you talked about where you translated a, a Japanese essay about the um, politician or somebody. Um, I forgot exactly what it was, but you talked about this and how it just turned into a total mushed up incomprehensible set of statements. Mm, yeah, I have a, I have a, um, it's a, actually it's an example on the website that I have for my right. students of a, 
of exactly this, of a essay that was probably a, a decent essay in Japanese. It was an op-ed column in one of the Japanese newspapers. And um, someone did a very good job of translating it into English. And when you read it in English, you, you, you're pulling out your hair because there's no... There's no logical thread. Right. You can't. I, you can't. I defy you to even tell me what this is supposed to be about, because hmm. it goes in four directions at the same time, and then at the end comes to you know there is a, a kind of conclusion paragraph, but it doesn't have anything. There's no way that you would come to this <laughs> conclusion logically. It, it is just. A, it's an exercise in frustration for us. Yes. And maybe in the same way that it's an exercise in frustration for our students to write in the way that we're asking them to write. Precisely. And it's it's an incredible It's hard process. <laughs> it's really it's, hard work. I don't know. It's it's it's, for it's, them hard, and for it's us. hard work for them and it's hard work for us and it's a real um hair turning hair tearing activity in a lot of ways. And part of the problem might be that there isn't really critical thinking across the curriculum. And I mean that in the sense of I'm not really sure how much teachers who are teaching, let's say, communication or speaking classes or listening classes or act, or even reading classes are spending time on how the argumentation is structured, how people reason, how connections are made and then they come into those students come into a writing class where that's of primary importance and for many of them it's the first time that it's been explicitly taught mm -hmm. so one of my hopes and dreams would be that we'd have critical thinking logical thinking included in every class so that it's not just focused on the or focused gets its focus in a writing class mm-hmm but I agree with you. That's a it's a big part of it. Is this the difference in how ideas are presented? I think we've talked before about how, for many of um, my students, the idea of dealing with fact and opinion is a new concept to them. Sure. And because in in English, when we want to express you know ourselves, we have the opinion and we support it with facts and evidence and expert opinion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera directly and this is something that is not done in japanese mm. at all i mean you it comes across as extremely rude and rough mm. and uncivilized mm. well i know how people see me now <laughs> <laughs> us we see all of us right? right well part of the problem is that we would say that in my opinion a b and c or i believe or i think and we start our sentences that way Whereas, interestingly enough, in Japanese, this idea is given, and then at the end you would add, I think. But that's not always the case. So getting students to clearly, for example, just in talking with them, to say, hey, you have to tell me. If this is an opinion, you have to say, I think, or I believe, or in my opinion. That takes a lot of work, too, and that's not something they're used to. Yeah. So expecting them now to apply this in a paragraph or paper form on paper something that ha where it's much easier to evaluate someone's thinking becomes quite a interesting activity and can be very difficult for them as you pointed out and very difficult for us so it's a challenge teaching writing but i'm wondering tony so Let's just, okay, are there any activities or exercises you do that to help students develop better critical thinking, better, or actually I would call it critical reasoning? It depends on the students that I'm teaching and the, the, the specific class. Uh, when, I was when I was teaching students at, that, at this level, um, I, I, there's a textbook that for me works really well. Um, it uh, adheres to the kind of that old-fashioned, traditional model of kind of working toward like a five-paragraph essay, which mm -hmm. I know is way out of fashion, but I, it, I cling to because of its value, especially you know, with the students here. Um, Blanchard, I think, is the, is the, the main um, author. Uh, the Re it's a Longman book, Ready to Write. Mm, yes. And it does, it does a really good job of... 
um, not only helping the students form paragraphs with topic sentence supporting sentences, but has in it has all kinds of really good exercises, specifically about um, identifying what a reason is. Uh, so they they have like you know an opinion, and you have to choose okay what what from this list of statements, which of these things are reasons for thinking this, which of these do support this and which don't and things. So in that, for that, I will use that those exercises if the students are having a hard time with that. Um, there was another thing that I saw, which when I, the first time I saw it, I kind of scoffed before I knew any better. And it was, um, it was another teacher's copy, um, photocopy of something that they were using with their students. And it was kind of a paint by numbers, fill in the blank kind of thing with um, just a blank outline form. It had introduction, it had several lines, it had point one and a line for them to write the point and then Reason one, reason two, and reason three, and then point number two and reason one, reason two, number three. And I said, oh, man, they're this spoon feeding the kids and really, you know, making this this lack of creativity and stuff. And, but, you know, a year or two later, after a little more teaching, I, said, I pulled that. <laughs> I saved it. I pulled that thing out. I said, all right, I'm going to make my own version. I need this and now. I'm going to use this. this. <laughs> I'm going to use this because... I can see where this is going to work because that's exactly what they needed. Um, that was that in-between step between, you know, getting their ideas and organizing their ideas and then putting them into that. Outline. It was an invaluable tool for them to make an outline for, for an essay that they were going to write. And it worked, it worked really well. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a number of things that can be done, a number of tools to do that. But you're hitting on that key point that, they need students need some kind of framework for them to access the kind of thinking we're asking them to do. Exactly. It's it's just not intuitive. It's not, and it's not there. They haven't right. gotten it anywhere there's else. Just, there's, it's a new thing. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, um, hey, I need you to build a kitchen counter. Go build it. Um, mm. How how do I do it? Just go build it. And but what's a most, counter? <clears throat> right. Have you seen what, a counter? You know how how it looks. Build it. Right. And most what most people would do is they would just kind of nail the sides together, <laughs> put the top on, and then find out that it's wobbly. Mm. People wouldn't know to build the frame first, and they wouldn't know how to build a frame. And this kind of exercise that you're talking about, where you fill in, you know, maybe like you know, topic sentence one, right, supporting right, exactly. sentence, etc. That kind of map is essential for them to begin to develop a general idea of what is expected, mm. right? That here is the expectation of how you will present your ideas. And imagine doing that when you've never had to do that before. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I completely understand why you went to that. I actually use... And I know it's it's it has a terribly ugly interface and it's open source or free. <laughs> um, that's a running joke with Tony and I, by the <laughs> way, for our listeners, is that I like open source, but Tony has mentioned that it's just usually the interface is just not that attractive. <laughs> but it's um, something called CMAP, which is a concept mapping tool. And I like it just because it's free and it works on every possible system. And to spend a lot of time with students getting their ideas and understanding the relationship between ideas mm -hmm. and then taking mm -hmm. that and turning it into, let's say an outline or actually drafting a paragraph, let's say, and then outlining it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. the biggest change in my teaching of writing has been the amount of time that I spend working with organizing ideas Yes, that yes. And I, I have a whole packet of things that I have built around exactly that type of thing. Um, to teach them in different ways to do that kind of thinking, the pre-thinking or brainstorming, if you want to think about it. Getting your ideas together and using like a, a mind map tool, like the one you mentioned, um, or lists, 
or index cards. And I kind of go through this and show the different ways you can do this. You know, you get all your ideas down and you throw some out. You add some new ones in. You put them in groups. Once you kind of get that together, kind of decide what it is that you're going to do, what you still need. You might need to do some research, um, how to put those, you know, clump those ideas together, which are then are going to become your paragraphs. Um, once you get them into those groups, then decide what it is that your paper is going to be about. And a real hard one is to get them to do, create a thesis statement. Okay. So- a, a, a sentence or two that's, that says, exactly what this paper is about. And if they've got a position, what it is, what's the breadth and scope and limits of what they're going to talk about, and all of that into a cohesive thesis statement. Again, something that is very, very difficult for them to do. Yeah, it's and we've seen that a lot. And like you, I, I teach writing for, for different levels. Um, graduation thesis, I also teach a... Um, writing course for master students who have come over to Japan. So, and then the writing one class, which is introduction to writing. And I find that even more important than getting them to write that thesis statement is getting them to write clear topic sentences for their paragraph. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I really spend a lot of time focusing on paragraphs. Uh, I agree with the fact that or I agree with the fact that's a silly thing to say, <laughs> especially when it's an opinion. I'm going to get out my red pencil. Yeah, would you get? Yeah, we should. Uh, we have to talk about. We're going to talk about pen, that, right? yeah. the red pencil. That's a really interesting topic in and of itself. <clears throat> um, but the idea that the paragraph is actually the unit of writing—that one idea gets one paragraph—and I spend a lot of time working on that and trying to get my students to organize a really nicely done paragraph that's an incredible amount of work but it's small enough that i can actually look at their thinking Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. i get papers if i get to that papers level where it's five paragraphs six paragraphs or more it's sometimes very hard to identify the problems in students thinking so i like working at the paragraph level and for for anyone who's teaching let's say writing to students who might not have um or might be around, let's say, intermediate to low level. Sometimes those students are required to have writing classes. We did this at the one school we worked together where we used um, reading power Mm -hmm. as the basis of the writing class because it spends so much time on paragraph construction and it really helps students learn how a paragraph's put together from a reading perspective. And then it was real easy to, well, it wasn't real easy, but it was relatively easy to take that knowledge and transfer it over into a productive skill. Right, because from the reading exercises they were then they were able to perceive at least at some level that framework that you were talking about. Right. right? And the other thing It wasn't a wholly new thing. Right. And the other thing that I've learned and it was it's taken me a long time to just do the obvious is provide your students with a model. Bingo. And say, this is an example of good writing and this is an example of bad. Let's look at what's being done. Because unless they see that exemplar, right? The Unless they see a good model, they don't know what they're aiming for. They don't know what it is. It's this foreign entity that is amorphous and ambiguous and kind of floating out in the ether, so to speak. Right, exactly. And, and I take it a step further. And I... Um not only will I give them the uh, the example that you just talked about, like a good of a good paragraph and a bad paragraph, I will using either if I'm in an, uh, a learning lab on the, on a computer screen or else on a, on a projector on the wall or something, um, work through the, the actual process, and I do it more than once where we have whole group of ideas, group them together, uh, form them in paragraphs, then from one of those paragraphs from one of those groups of ideas write the paragraph, write the topic sentence, write the supporting sentences. One, and do it again, and do it again. Okay, you guys do it. Okay, let's take a look what you did. This is what I did. And do that over and over with different like groups of ideas. Um, because, again, it's it's such a foreign thing that, yeah, they need concrete examples that they can follow. Hmm. And I'm going to run with something you just said, a little bit off the topic where we're at right now but you put the students into groups right 
Or are they working no, no, individually? No, 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 this, not, not in this, no, not in this For exercise, this exercise, but... they're working individually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I do those kind of activities and I have them in groups. Huh? Because, okay. number one, I'm trying to teach them that writing is not an isolated activity. I want them working with each other on their papers or their paragraphs. I want them editing. I want them helping. I want them correcting each other because I think that has value. And later I'll talk about this very strong emphasis I place on peer editing. But interesting, I do that in groups and you do that individually, but there's a lot of repetition. There's yes. a, right. And there's a lot of different models and you keep working and working. And so they do what they're doing. Then you show them what you've done. And then over time, I guess they will start approaching your model. Right. It's an interesting idea. How many because, times do you have the, to do could, it? Um, it depends on the class. Uh, we the, will do it three or four times. Okay. Um, and again, this I'm in my head. I, I didn't expressly say so. Uh, was a class with a very specific mandated goal. This is that class where I'm preparing students to write their senior thesis, and so it wasn't a general inc increase in, in writing competency type of thing, which where you have a little more freedom to go different ways where I might do things a little bit more the way that you were doing it. Where, whereas in this class that I was talking about, yeah, they were all working alone and, um, and it was a small, it was a, luckily it was a small enough class um, where I was able to look at, give enough time to each individual to look and see what they were doing and, and give oral feedback to mm. yeah this is good this is right you, maybe you should do redo this this is needs a little work here so forth and so on mm. that's interesting you just gave me a, an idea that i'm actually going to use this upcoming academic year for my writing classes which i'm going to start every writing class with some kind of organizing activity hmm i just realized that that that's the warm-up Usually I always start the class with a review and I'm thinking, but what if I started with, here's a list of ideas, now put them into logical order for a paper mm. or a paragraph and just do that every, every, that's how I'd start every class. That's a nice, nice little exercise. Right. But that would help reinforce and then they do it and sure. then put them into groups and see what the other people do mm -hmm. and have Compare them merge yeah. and then have my version of it. Right. And then allow them to see what's going on. Thanks. Hmm. Well, I don't know whether this podcast is useful for our listeners, but it's now proved useful to me. <laughs> so, thank you, Tony. Well, other things, other things like that that you can do to about like organizing ideas and things. Um, you can um, you know, take sentences of a paragraph and scramble them, right? And have them put the sentences the in the correct order, exercise, right? Yeah, and you can do the same thing with paragraphs uh, as part of a, a bigger essay and things, or even a short story, um, which is kind of fun for them. You can do that, spread that over the whole class, right? Right, so, a short story and cut out paragraphs and have them put in the right order and things. It's um, right. you know, kind of a nice little change of, change of pace. Yeah, when I've done that, I've had the groups of students put the sentences into a paragraph order, and then they have to get together with the other groups and put their paragraphs together mm -hmm. into the whole story order. So it's a right. whole rebuilding of the of the club. The students usually enjoy it. Sure. It's one of those activities, but it, sometimes it can take a little more time than I really wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking, Tony... Let's so we're teaching different levels and there's different goals and objectives and both of us have uh, taught basic writing all the way to preparing students to write their graduation thesis and I work um, f lucky that I get students that I work with for a year and a half and I'm responsible for helping them with their graduation thesis all the way with master's level writing um, it's an interesting thing to do Let's talk about feedback. Okay, good. Shall we go to that? You know, what's, you know, there's the whole issue of how much the red pencil, the red pen. By the way, I don't use a red pen <laughs> or red. I think it's, it traumatized me when I was in elementary school. Oh, no, the red, the red, the red. But how do you provide feedback to your students? Do you do a lot of marking? Do you really correct a lot? I know you have a whole system. You've talked about this a little bit before, whereby um, you use shortcuts, right, on your computer for correct. statements that you want to provide. So you actually are – how much 
correction are you doing? Let's say a student gives you a paragraph or a five-paragraph essay. They give you well, a first draft. How much marking well, it, up are you doing? Um, it, 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 it depends on the class. I, right, now, right now, I'm not doing any actual write, total writing classes. I have several um, classes uh, for which writing is an important component, but I don't have any writing classes per se. Back when I was doing a writing class, um, their final product was a longish paper, um, 1,500 words um, for them. And during the semester, they would be building this step by step by step, and each step um, was a, an assignment. Um, and, for example, you know, week very beginning, you write your thesis statement and you write it, submit a out, general outline and a detailed outline um, body, and then maybe the introduction, the conclusion last, something like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Um, and it would depend a lot on the student, uh, individual student. And again, this, this was a, one writing class and a, and a smallish class in 2025. Um, some students, um, my comments would be limited to things at a kind of what we'll call a macro level mm. in terms of you need to focus a little bit more here. Like you might want to take out this part about this or why don't you include more about the history of X, Y, or Z here. Some students were having much harder time at maybe the, the grammar, the sentence level. And um, I would maybe take a look at, like, for example, if one student's having a problem with subject-verb agreement, you know, two circles around this, watch this, subject-verb agreement. And if we were using a textbook, I'd write the page number of the book where they kind of covered this kind of thing. Um, but, again, that was with a class that was small, and I was able to give that kind of individual attention. Right now, I have a very different situation where I have... Um, one day of classes where I teach total of uh, mm, 170, 180 students, all of which are required to write uh, a paper each semester, and another three classes of a, in a total of about 75 students uh, who in our inner combination reading writing class, and uh, there are also some some. Not specified some it's a reading writing class, there should be some writing product so that that we I kind of negotiate with the students each semester, but in evaluating their final or their key you know so if they have like for example two or three writing products or whatever they might be, whether it's a book report, whether it's um an essay so forth and so on uh I obviously cannot do line by line correction for the students and I can't cite research what I've read, been told, uh, not that effective anyway. But what I do is, whatever the assignment might be, I identify three, four, five main criteria, give it 10 points each, kind of random. You know, you make it five points, you make it three points each, you can do whatever you want with it. And, um, Depending on, again, what the specific assignment is, you know, tailor the criteria to the assignment, obviously, and grade them on that. And then um, we'll have a spot on that little small sheet, which either gets emailed to them if the, if the paper's been emailed or back on paper, some has been submitted on paper. Um, that sheet along with um, some comments. And when you're talking about 250 students, the comments... You'll, you'll find um, f follow a certain pattern. I mean, there's a certain number of things, right? And so, yeah, I've made keyboard shortcuts for the comments that I find that I'm making over and over and over again. Problems with paragraph structure, stronger introduction needed, stronger conclusion needed, some problems with grammar and structure, severe problems <laughs> with grammar and structure, and so on and so on. So by just typing in a few letters of each of these things, in the comments section, then the comments get printed on that small sheet, and the student gets that kind of feedback. Um, whether it's their, when it's their final paper, I, mean, I don't get a chance to see follow up on that, but um, 
Hmm. It seems to be working somewhat. Again, even monitoring progress in, in, in this number of students is, is a little bit hard, especially when with, with some of them I only had them for one semester. Okay. So my question is, you are typing onto a form that you then give the students. Correct. Do you mark directly on the paper? Almost never. So you would say line number ten or paragraph one, line four. How do you, how do they most know? of the time? Most of the time, not most of the time. These are shorter assignments, and more general and just comments. general comments. Yeah, yeah. That's it's well. That's interesting because if you, you gave each comment a number, then you could actually track what are the most common, which is what you do, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're mm-hmm. able to see what are the most common errors. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good system. I do something similar to that where I have numbers, right? And I give mm-hmm. the students a correction sheet. And it says, okay. if I write number one, it means this, number two. But I realize if I use the shortcuts, I can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I've done, because I kind of agree with you or I agree with you about how, the question of how much uptake actually occurs. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. And, yeah, right, because you, you, you correct the same same student, same mistake. You correct it over and over. over. And I just went through this. <laughs> I just went through this where I, I think I – and this is where I'm meeting with um, a couple of students who are working on their, their graduation thesis, and they're really hardworking, good students, and they wrote really interesting graduation theses that were really pl- – it was really pleasurable to work with them. They had certain issues in organization, but what I found was that I kept sitting with them, and we'd be all have their draft, the, the drafts in front of us, all three of us, and I'd say, "Okay, right here, you're doing this mistake. Fix it. Don't do this." And then next page, you'd see the same mistake, and this went on over a period of four weeks or five weeks. We're meeting every week, and the mistakes would be re-entered again, right? They didn't not um, because I would see it because they'd be adding sections to their paper to their thesis. And I kept pointing this out and pointing this out and there was no uptake, mm. which kind of leads, gives credence to the, mm-hmm. both of us have heard this, mm. that it's not very effective for teachers to provide corrections. I think on a micro level, right? Macro level, it's different. Students do understand to move a paragraph or reorder or provide more reasons or examples uh, when they read, write something. One of the things I wanted to kind of throw in here is I don't like fixing grammar mistakes. And I don't... I don't know anybody who does. And I found that I don't like... I have problems trying to understand students when they write these really kind of extensive sentences. So what I've done is I have the 12-word limit Oh, that's oh, so you do it that way. Okay, yeah, good. I just, it's like, if you write a sentence with more than 12 words, it's gone. It's not acceptable because I find that. That's a good, that's a good rule. I like it. it. It works because it makes it much easier for me to figure out what they're saying. It does create repetitive sentences, but I told them you're not worried about style at this point, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, They're like, mm-hmm. but you're making me go back to feeling like a beginner in English. And I said, well, you're, you, you have to accept the fact that you're a beginning writer. But even at the master's level, I've done that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. become a very good tool because it forces the students to be concise and to be precise. Yes, I, I, I hammer home this the exact same point. Maybe I do it a little bit of a, at a more meta level, but I do talk about the importance and the desirability of simplicity and how not only students, not only their teachers and native speakers, uh, professional writers are you know in love with their own language and uh, think that you know the longer sentences and difficult words especially and this is another thing that we have to really kind of counter in in here in japan because it's even more pronounced in in japan you know if you give a speech and no one understands what you're saying you're a great speaker because obviously you're so wise (laughs) and so learned that we can't comprehend what you're saying um and the same thing with with writing Uh, but the importance of simple sentences and saying things as simply as possible and the importance of you know what you're trying to do you're not trying to impress the person with your vocabulary your your command of the grammar your your purpose here is to communicate an idea right and the most certain way to communicate the idea is to say it as simply as you possibly can right don't use five words if three will do exactly 
And I completely agree because I tell my students, especially at the master's level, I said that your writing should be like glass. It should not be noticeable. And mm-hmm. you only notice glass when it's dirty. Mm-hmm. And I think nice. If, I like that example. Right. If people that. are noticing your writing, it means that they're not <clears throat> focusing on your ideas. Hmm. And I do that, but I also talk about the difference between accuracy and precision at that level. Mm-hmm. That you could be accurate but not precise, and you're not aiming. Right. Just you need to, you know, get really specific. So my students know that they're the big joke in one of my classes is cut, 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 cut. Hmm. <laughs> And one of the ways I do this as an exercise to really teach my students, and I do this in every class, no matter what the level, is the first writing assignment for the first week is give me a room description. Describe your bedroom or describe your one-room apartment. And the students come back, and I always get, I have a small room, or I have a nice room, and there's lots and lots of adjectives. And we go through a whole thing about why adjectives are not very useful in academic writing and that they're imprecise, that we need to be more explicit, you need to be more concrete. And then I send them back and they rewrite their room descriptions. For example, they'll say that I have a small desk and then I have to say, well, what's the dimensions of the desk? What are the dimensions of your desk? I need to know exactly. I have some books on the shelf. And I say, you have to tell us how many books are on the shelf. So this is an example where a writing exercise is also a thinking exercise. And that hammers at home. That actually eliminates most of the use of adjectives, Mm -hmm. which I think is not very useful. But there are differences in how they usually write and what we expect from them. Mm-hmm. And those are very tight. But the 12-word rule, that and the exercise for the room description, get rid of adjectives, be precise, be concise. And I like what you said, right? If you can say it in three words, why say it in five? Mm-hmm. It's a great point. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's from the Zen of Python, by the way, Python being the programming language, where somebody put together some things and they said, clear is better than complex but complex is better than complicated. Mm-hmm. And just because you write a complicated sentence does not mean you're a good writer. In that, right? If I have to spend any time trying to understand what you've written, you'd better be a world-famous intellect. Right. Otherwise, right. I'm going to just not read what you have to say and send it. And nobody wants to spend time trying to figure out what a writer said unless they're sure. known yeah, to be you, should, you shouldn't have to that, that's a that's At an imposition level, that's, yes. a, that's a mistake good call it's an imposition on the reader and uh, I, I actually you know you talked about your the complaint that some of your more advanced students were saying is that you're treating me like a beginner i kind of counter that i'm kind of head on um with with my more advanced students and I'm, I'm doing writing with them um and i acknowledge it's like i understand that there's a lot of times when you're going to be frustrated uh, because you're you're not a stupid kid. You guys are really smart, and in your own language, you have all these very complex ideas, and you know how to express yourself well in your native language. You, you can begin to be very frustrated when you try to express these ideas in a foreign language, and you're not going to have the language or the tools to do it. And you're going to be tempted to write these long sentences. And I said, that's exactly when you're going to get into trouble. <laughs> That's exactly when you get into trouble. So if you can, if you have to, try in your own language to break it down, to explain it to somebody who is not as bright as you. Take the idea and explain it in your own language as simply as possible, and then try to write it in English. That's a good point. It's, it's yeah, it's hard to... Because well, you, you have the same... First, I mean, you, you understand it, because I have... Because I'm, I'm like that all the time, right? I've got, I, there's all kinds of things that I want to say that I don't have the Japanese skills <laughs> to be able to express myself. And I'm left, you know, these... Right. <laughs> spitting out this stuff, and people think I'm an idiot. I, I, no, I never, no, I'm I never, not I, an idiot, really. I'm not. I never have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's important to tell students that they need to write clearly and that they should write simply because if you write clearly and simply, it's much easier to handle complex ideas. So important. Yes. So it's such an important idea. Yeah. And that's the 12 word rule. It's the, it forces them to do it. It's an exercise. 
to get them to craft their sentences, but also because we do a lot of peer editing. By the way, going back to the corrective feedback, I have students peer edit in every class. They have to print out a copy. They also submit digitally to me. And they have to check each other's papers because I really believe that if you learn how to fix other people's papers, you'll be able to see what's going on. Um, and very, very useful tool. And, and maybe I'll maybe I'll, I'll sidetrack it just for a second. And I was just me. about to sidetrack it, but go ahead. You sidetrack <laughs> first. Because I, I think up to now, we're, we're pretty much kind of been talking about writing in kind of like the more traditional, maybe formal academic paper kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the classes that I have to teach um, have goals and restrictions, and I've got a certain pro target that should be met, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to get to that target. Other classes I've had, writing classes, uh, the goals have been a little bit more Goals and objectives have been a little bit freer and been able to do things a little bit things different. So uh, I didn't want to give the impression that the only thing I do is this, <laughs> hammering these kids into this f strict structure of this five-paragraph essay and with a t every topic sense. Um, but have done things. It just, you just you were talking about the peer uh, peer editing. Um, with free writing and peer edited journals where every week, you know, the kids either write, give them time to write in class or write at home, um, bring it to class, spread it around, have the other kids read what other kids have written, write their own comments, um, either depending on what we're doing that particular week, whether it has any, anything at all to do with accuracy or whether it's just about the content, you know, in terms of, you know, oh yeah, you really had a nice golden week blah, 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 but have done other things like um, these journals, creating websites, web magazines, uh, webzines. Um, I had one students, uh, one group of students for their project, they created a Wikipedia entry for their university. Cool. Um, paper, on paper, magazines and or newspapers. Um, I've had students write short stories and I've kind of walked them through like the structure of a story, um, introducing the setting, the characters, introducing your problem, um, the, the the tension until the problem gets solved, either either happily ending or a, a tragic ending, whatever it might be. How you build up your characters, how you create suspense in the storyline. Uh, you and I have worked together uh, with reviews. For example, you pick a restaurant, a cafe, a movie. Uh, a, a clothes shop or whatever it might be and write a critical review of this uh, thing. Uh, book reports, traditional book reports or creative spins on that. So for example, me, if every, if it's like, for example, I've got a reading writing class, if everybody's reading um, the same thing, if I don't do, haven't done this, but I have a reading, I have a specific reading class, all the students read the wizard of Oz. If we're a reading writing class, they were all writing that book. Well, then have Dorothy write a letter to her Aunt M from Oz. Or maybe she goes back to Kansas and she's writing a letter to the Wizard or the Good Witch of the North um, or, one, or the Tin Man or one of the other characters from that. Um, combination reading writing classes, reading journals, um, either as summaries of what they've read or... Uh, Again, something a little bit more creative. So, for example, if you're reading something that's fiction, um, write the next chapter. Or what oh, the book ends, maybe what happened before the first chapter? What happens after the last chapter? Uh, those kinds of things. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can be done. A lot of the times, the teacher's hands are kind of tied. And you're geared toward a, a set goal, objective, and you got to figure that's got to be your priority, but sometimes you've got more freedom and there's all kinds of ways to build up different kinds of writing skills that all will help uh, the students in their written expression. That's a good point. I'm in a slightly more restrictive situation where I'm focused on mm -hmm. academic writing. Often, often we are. Right. But the use of websites or writing a, um, an art, uh, an article, for example, in a self-published class 
magazine or something that's great i'm actually beginning to think that i'm going to give my students a class project that they have to write the writing guidebook for my for the next class <laughs> that they should say this is what you need to learn this is what you need to work on hmm. um in the sense of just trying to come up with different kinds of activities um primarily because my experience is that they need lots of work and the emphasis on writing for a reader is something that they can understand but find difficult to put into practice so i think your idea of having them do like a wikipedia entry about their school is an excellent idea because they can clearly know who their readers are mm -hmm. right as somebody mm -hmm. who might not be familiar with the school there's just so much to teaching this topic and it's difficult but one of the nice things is that it's very much a situation where you can really see what kind of learning is occurring or what learning is not occurring. Whereas mm -hmm. I think in a speaking class or even in a listening class, sometimes it's hard to figure out what's going on. But writing, I get to actually see the improvement from my students because they have to do that first sample writing. Mm -hmm. And I ask for portfolios where they have to keep everything that's been marked up, edited, that they've turned in. That includes teacher comments as well as other students' comments. And they give that portfolio to me at the end of the semester. And I get to look at it and I can see that they're learning things. I can see that their writing's getting better. So for all the work that a writing class entails and by the way we haven't even talked about the fact we haven't that, talked about that we can just we can we can capsulize that really quickly though right right pay us that more be obvious <laughs> obvious, to, obvious to anybody who's listening at this point um these writing classes are a hell of a lot of work pay us more for teaching a writing class there should really, be really they should be a reasonable size and they should be compensated for the extra work rate. because there's no yeah. question that a writing class takes more work than any other class and the prep alone is much more intensive. And then there's yep. the commenting. So, but I wanted to kind of, okay, I think we've capsulized that, right? <laughs> mm. The thing I wanted to talk about is one way though, that I do give feedback mm -hmm. is the uh, getting students papers or paragraphs up on the screen or on the board in front of the class mm -hmm. it's important to go ahead you want to say yeah, yeah no 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 i'm, I'm agree to agree with you i'm yeah. saying yes yes yes, yes 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 every student knows that their paper goes up and it's not done anonymously and i have a class and let's say this will be about in a writing class it's about 11 people or about seven or eight or a big class would be about 15 but I put people's papers up and I ask them if I can put their papers up. And of course there's pressure for it to do that. But I do that primarily because I'm trying to get them to lose their ego, that they need to learn that everybody's paper needs work and that they have to get used to being corrected and that they should be open to as much input as possible. And then what I do is I project use the projector and i put the paper up on the whiteboard i don't lower the screen i put it up on the board and we'll go through the paper together looking at it in terms of organization and sentences and how the paragraphs put together and i'm marking up the board and the students is the students who has their paper on the board is responsible for taking notes while i write and then what will happen is after I'm done, I just clean the whiteboard off, cause, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And the student has to record their own ideas. But getting students to see what other people are doing and what the common mistakes are, I think, is vital. And yeah, I yeah, do that yeah. at every level. <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've done very similar things. I don't, I don't do the, the whiteboard note-taking erase, erase um, uh, bit on it, but... Um, and I'll, I will do it anonymously. I'll take a student's paper and I'll make you know, anonymous and go through the things that they did right, things that they did wrong. But that is very, very useful, I think. Mm. I've had good results with that. Yes, because then they get to see how I'm reading the paper. Right. It's the same thing. I'm giving them a an example. 
this is yeah because their own, the their own paper yeah their own paper after they've written it it's really hard as, as we we've done the same thing it's really hard to see your own writing after a certain point because you've looked at it so many times your brain starts getting in the way and it starts seeing what you it's trying to tell you what's there rather than what you actually see it's like a well, perfect paper to me paper, right? right it looks like a perfect paper to me yeah and right. but when you see somebody else's like it's Whoa, right. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different perspective because they're making a whole different set of mistakes than I am um, in many cases, or they're making the same. It's like, oh, I did that too, right. um, kind of thing. Really, really useful, I think. Right. And what I've done, <laughs> I've used it as a motivational tool, is that the last paper submitted to me, <laughs> you know, goes up first. Goes up first. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I think I'm getting pretty weak papers, but it's a way of t getting students to submit a little bit earlier. But then what I do is that in once the paper's up and I've we start talking about it, I put students into either pairs or groups of three, let's say, and each group has to make a constructive comment. They have to find something and then suggest the fix because I'm trying to teach them how to read their own papers. I just had the experience where we put a student's paper up and there was... Um, two sentences that just didn't connect logically, the two sentences in a row. And I asked the students in the class, tell me what's wrong with these two sentences. And there was no comments. And this is from a pretty good group of students with very good English abilities. And they didn't see that the sentences didn't connect. So they needed to see me Mm. making the correction. So I think, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it comes from, I think it's John Hattie who, who, who has his book, Visible Learning. You have to make these things visible. They have to be, the students have to see it to get it. Yeah. And yeah. it's nice in a group situation and it's nice to take writing away from this isolated activity where the communication is only between the student and the teacher and allow everybody in on the process. Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed before when I was doing the the peer edited journals, because um, I I wouldn't see them until you know, the, uh, the the whatever it was the midterm and at the end of the term. But they you know they would write and their friends would write their own comments and and things. Um, the and that group uh, thing that dynamic that you're talking about uh, made a big difference. Yeah, it really does help. You know, I echo what you said before about, um, you know, writing classes being one of those situations where you actually do see um, results or, or you don't or the lack thereof, because there, the evidence is there. Either they got it or they didn't. And um, very interesting observation that I've had over the last couple of semesters, because it's the same school and the same majors, though different levels. Um, I have three classes. One is um, literature majors for the most part. Another one is a social science and the last um last class are engineers and nurses together and um fascinating thing is that um even though the engineers i guess overall you want to talk about overall level maybe not the, the same level as the, the majors in, in english and things the engineers know how to take direction <laughs> they 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 listened to what they were supposed to do and they did what I told them to do, and it was just you talk about like being able to you know see the results. Like it's like, damn, you guys listened to me. I had all these papers, it's like these wonderfully organized papers and these paragraphs. And I'm just like, is this really this class? And it's like, they did what they were supposed to do. And it's like, wow, this is really something. It used to the, the, the lit guys not so much. Right. It used to be that. I dreaded teaching engineers because overall their English levels were lower than, let's say, the mm. lit students. But after a while, I realized, oh, no, the, the engineering students know how to exactly take directions and apply it. And it was something maybe that they could relate to because it was a little more it's logical. structured and logical. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the engineers, you know, those... So you when any... I can do that, topic sense, reason one, reason two, reason three. Oh, it makes sense to me. Right. Do you have any friends who are engineers? I have no friends, so it doesn't matter. So I can ask you the question. <laughs> I have um, um, one of my. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. It's a very different kind of person to talk to. Mm. There's a different way of seeing the world, and so mm -hmm. right, the engineers actually understand logic and reasoning and connections because they're in that area, mm. right? 
there's justifications. You need the data. Once you have the data, you can make decisions. And you, you, you have to deal with the physical world. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's an interesting thing, but it's a good point to wrap up, right? More engineers. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and again, the, the big thing about you know being able to see the, the fruit of your labor, right? Yes. Um, whether they got it, you, you, you know whether they got it, they didn't get it. It's there on the paper. Right, and so always, always have that first um, benchmark essay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing, though, I do want to close with is the importance of rubrics in writing mm-hmm. so that students know what's expected of them and that that gives them a tool to measure their own writing. Mm-hmm. If you don't provide them with the rubric before the, you know, when you give the assignment, that this is how you'll be assessed on this assignment, that it has so much more value than giving it to them just as a grading mechanism. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And this, is, and this is something beyond just writing classes, yes. right? Any class, yes. right? Yes, and I don't do it enough. That um, same, same every here. Same exercise. here. As you say it, I'm kind of gobsmacking. Yes, exactly. Every exercise should, you know, I should have the rubric up. So this is what we're looking at because it's, again, as we criticize our students when they say, yeah, your, your <laughs> ideas are clear to you, but they're not clear to me. You got it. You right? got it. So rubrics. When you give the assignment, not just as a grading tool, but as a way of making clear to students what's expected of them and giving them some kind of checklist. Really important. Getting them right. Checklists, by the way, are unbelievably valuable, right? Yep. Make sure there's a topic sentence check. Yeah. Did I do this? Did I do this? this, this, Did I do this? Did I do this? Okay. Well, I got some things out of this. Yeah. I'm going to do. And again, you know, hitting my head. Mm, like you mm, about mm. all the obvious things to do. So well, actually reminders, right? Right. Yes. And guess what I'm going to do after this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, d- I'm, gonna gr- I'm done with I'm, the grading I'm, papers. I'm, I'm done with my papers. You're done with your papers. I, I, I got to do actual um, grade entries and things, but yeah. I'm done with. I only papers, have one yeah. more class to read their papers, but everything else is just uh, n- getting the spreadsheets to work. But I do have one class where I have to go through a bunch of papers. So that's what I'm going to do. Fun. I will. Okay, so we're two teachers talking. Well, I, hope, I hope you yep. read good stuff. I hope they did a good job. I'll find out. That's why I'm trying to end this real quickly so that I can <laughs> get to it. So that All I, right, go. Okay, hi, we're two teachers talking at twoteachers.com. <laughs> no. And two teachers trying to talk. Two teachers talking <laughs> teacher, at gmail.com. Two teachers talking with one interrupting. Okay. Yeah. All right, so be well, Tony. Yeah, you too. All right. And good luck with those papers. Yes, and good luck with your spreadsheets. <laughs>